The reading tonight is from Luke, chapter 5, verses 27 to 39. It can be found on page 836 of of the Bibles if you grab one as you came in. Uh, That's the English-speaking Bibles, or page 1,667 if you have one of the Chinese Bibles. Luke, chapter 5, starting at verse 27. After this... Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch up an old one. Otherwise, they'll have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say, The old is better. Thank you, Joe. Brothers and sisters, good afternoon. Pete Stedman, Senior Minister here. Uh, Great to be uh, back into Luke's Gospel with you. I've got to say I'm loving uh, this sermon series through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We start every year with a Gospel series. We think it's a great place to put down and anchor our roots. Um, But I'm loving this sermon series in particular because I've always loved Luke's Gospel in particular. Uh, I love the way that Luke flows and the narrative arcs. I love the clever way that Luke has arranged his stories to make points that sometimes you've got to dig a little deeper to see. Uh, And we're going to see a bit of that tonight, actually. And as we've heard every week so far, uh, this series is designed to help us all see through Luke's gospel how when people meet Jesus, they move. When people meet Jesus, they move. They move from being skeptics to believers from spectators to followers, from admirers to worshippers. And I wanted to start tonight by asking you the question, have you ever considered why that doesn't always happen? How is it that some people can come into Norwest and receive the same warm welcome that you have and hear the same gospel of the Lord Jesus preached that you have And then a few weeks or months later think, yeah, you know, it's just really not for me. So one person hears and is forever transformed. Another hears and thinks, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. How does that happen? How does that play out? You know, every year here at Norwest, we have uh, a few families, a few people who join us for a time. And they start off really excited. They are both Chinese families as well as Anglo families. Start off very excited. They sign their kids into everything. 
Uh, and the parents will sign up to serve in two, three, or four different areas. And we end up needing to say to them, whoa, just slow down. Just great to have you here, but just breathe and find your, your way in. Let us get to know you, and you get to know us, and so on and so forth. And then as quickly as they've come, they're gone. Six weeks, sometimes six months later, but they're gone, and we never hear from them again. Now, it doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen enough for the senior staff to see it, know it, and recognize it when it starts to happen. What's going on there? Well, undoubtedly, there's many different things going on for many different people and families. But one of the things that I think is going on in a number of those situations is absolutely smack bang in our passage today. We're going to see that. So if you could keep your Bibles open, uh, the reading today was Luke 5, 27 to 39, just that back section of Luke 5. And whilst that was our reading, uh, that section is part of a much larger section in Luke's Gospel. And and to show you what Luke's doing in chapter 5, I'd love you to keep Luke 5 open, the whole thing. It's over two pages, but uh, I'm sure you can flip. So Luke 5 is a series of stories that need to be read together. They need to be read into each other. See, we often come to Luke 5 and think, oh, there's four unrelated stories of Jesus meeting and engaging with different people. That's not what Luke's doing here. Luke is actually weaving together four stories and all of them to make the one singular point. So what are the four stories? We'll have a look down. Uh, Verse 1 to 11. The first is the story of Jesus approaching Simon Peter the fisherman. Number two is Jesus meeting a man with leprosy. Number three is Jesus engaging with a paralytic man as he's dropped through the roof of a house. Number four is where our reading started tonight. It's where Jesus encounters Levi, the tax collector. What holds all these four stories together is that each story is about the same thing from a different perspective. Each story is about a person whose life is fractured in some way, a person who is alienated from the God who made them, a story of each person who needs to meet Jesus and who does and who then has their life restored by him. So let's have a look at uh, each one quite quickly. Uh, So... Chapter 5 shifts location. Chapter 4 was in the synagogues with the clerics, the scholars, the suits. Chapter 5, Jesus with the real working people, those with dirt under their fingernails. Uh, And in verse 3, we read that Jesus is down at a lake and he sees a fisherman, Simon, who hasn't caught a thing. And he says to him, he says, Simon, put your nets down in deeper water and you'll catch some fish. You know, I've always wondered if this is a bit like when you're at home and you're mowing the lawn, and you just can't start the lawnmower. And someone in your family hopefully comes out and says, look, have you, um, have you tried pulling the cord? And you're all, have, have I what? Have I tried? Yeah, I've tried pulling the, car, the cord. I, I think this is the same sort of thing. I think Peter is probably thinking, put my nets in deeper. I have fished before, Jesus. I have done this a few times. But for whatever reason, maybe because there's a crowd there, maybe because who knows why, Simon does what's requested. Heads to deeper waters, drops the net, and the most amazing thing happens. He catches fish, heaps of fish, more fish than he's ever caught, so much so that they fill two boats and the boats nearly sink. This is the day that fishermen dream of. And you'd expect the story would go, and Peter was delighted because now he could feed the village for two months, and they thought he was a hero. That's not what happens at all. We read that Peter's broken by what happens. Hear his words. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. 
So in this story, Peter meets Jesus. Jesus does an amazing thing for him, and Peter is overcome by deep conviction of personal unworthiness and personal shame. Perhaps for the first time, Peter starts to see the depth and the evil of the self-sufficiency that lives in his heart. That's what the Bible calls sin, actually, which is why Peter then says, Go away from me, Lord, I am sinful. Now, one question is, where's this conviction of sin come from? Well, not from himself. People don't wake up one day and think, you know what, I'm a rotten sinner, I should do something about that. That's not really how it goes. Uh, A sense of sin comes from meeting someone sinless, meeting Jesus. And I want to say that if you're here tonight and you don't have a personal conviction of sin, that is, if it's hard for you to hear or new to you uh, to hear that there is a self-sufficiency that lives in your heart which says to you, you can do it. If you work harder, you're going to get there. Keep fighting, keep going, keep going. You may not have met Jesus as Peter meets him here in Luke 5. Now, look at Jesus' response to Peter. He doesn't say, spot on, you are a sinner. And you asked me to go away, so I will. Verse 10, look at the gentle, loving, compassionate response of Jesus. He says, don't be afraid. And he embraces Peter. doesn't just make him his friend. He makes him his partner in ministry. Verse 10, from now on you will catch men. So story one, Peter the fisherman meets Jesus. By his own admission, he is spiritually broken. He says to Jesus, away from me, Lord, I'm sinful. He finds himself in the presence and power of God. And he finds out that he's not fit to be close. Jesus restores him. Jesus draws him in, loves him, and Peter finds life restored. So that's story one. Story two, much shorter, four verses this time. Jesus meets a leper. Now, if there was a disease that you didn't want to have in the first century, it was leprosy. Not only was it incurable, but because of this, it was deeply feared. And the only way that you would deal with a leper was to ostracize them from the community they lived in for the sake of the rest of the community. See, to be a leper was an awful thing. You don't leave a rotting apple in a bowl of apples. You don't leave a leper in a community of people. But it was even worse if you were a Jewish leper because that ostracizing meant that you had to live outside the camp or the city that God's people lived in. And in a Jewish mindset, this was to actually be away from the very presence of God himself. In Jewish understanding, God dwelt with his people. So if you were a Jewish leper, you were seen as ritually unclean There was nothing in the Jewish religion that could help you. You were put outside the camp. You were put outside of a relationship with God uh, because the Old Testament law taught the following. As long as the person has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. The leper in Luke 5 is a picture of the person who is religiously alienated. Nothing in the law can help this person. There's no offerings they can bring to make them right with God, no ritual they can perform to restore them to God. They are, in every sense, desperately alone. And in our second story, Jesus approaches a man who is fractured religiously. Look at verse 12. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him. Uh, When was the last time you fell to the ground with your face to the ground and begged anyone? Yeah, you're not that desperate. That's why. This man is. And religion can't save him. Ritual can't save him. 
but Jesus can. And we read that Jesus willingly reaches out and touches him. I wonder if you knew that Jesus actually broke the Jewish law by doing that, as they understood it at the time. Yet in that religiously defiant act of Jesus, Jesus restores this man. What all the religion and rules and rituals in the world could never do, Jesus does. By a touch. And this man whose life is a mess, uh, this man for whom all the rules of religion mark him as out, Jesus touches him and brings him in. Story two shows us that uh, religion has broken this desperate man's life wide open, but he meets Jesus and his life's restored. I wonder if you're starting to see the pattern. Story three, a story of another broken man, another man whose life is fractured, not spiritually, not religiously, but literally. He is physically broken. His body does not work. He is a paralytic. And as such, he's thoroughly dependent on his friends to survive. Now, these same friends have heard about Jesus. They've heard about the miracles he's doing. So full of faith and hope, they bring their broken friend to Jesus. Uh, they are a picture of determination. And we see that in the way that they just bury through the roof and rip it open and lower their friend down to the crowd below. This is when you, you wish that you're not the one hosting Jesus because everyone leaves and you've got to fix your roof. But Jesus looks up. And he sees the faith these men have in him. And he looks at the man and he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is really strange. This is one of those times you read the Bible, you think, what? That doesn't make sense. And you've, you ask yourself, maybe there's something more going on. And there is. Because you can sort of imagine his mates up on the roof here, right? Sort of hearing Jesus say this and saying, no, you say it, you say it. And one of them putting their head down saying, Psst, Jesus, it's the legs. Because everyone in the room thinks the issue is the legs. Jesus thinks it's the heart. And in one sense, in this story, the legs are just an outward reflection of what this man's deeper issue is. And that is for this man, there is a spiritual dislocation between him and his God. And Jesus could just heal his legs, but healing this man's legs would be like Jesus giving a butter menthol to a man with throat cancer. You see, Jesus never merely deals with symptoms. Jesus always deals with causes. Jesus doesn't come and say, live nicer, be kinder, try harder. No, he brings something completely different, which is called the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus comes and he says, you know what? You're not nice enough. You're not kind enough. You're not good enough. And you never will be. So just trust me. Repent of your self-sufficiency your desire to do it yourself. Just love me. And then Jesus sees this man, he sees his faith and the faith of his friends and he forgives him. Uh, the paralytic's legs don't work. He's broken. But he meets Jesus and he's forgiven and he's healed. A picture of life restored. Well, one final story. Luke introduces us to a man named Levi who's a tax collector. He is enormously wealthy. He is enormously despised. Uh, he's a Jew who is hated by the Jews because he works for the Jewish enemy, which is the Romans, to tax the Jews, give their money to their enemies, the Romans, and take a thick cut on the side. He is a social pariah. His life is fractured and he's an outcast. He's actually a picture of someone who is socially alienated. Jesus sees him, says just two words to him, which change his life. He says, Follow me. It's the name of our series. 
Immediately we read the man stands and walks away from everything he has, probably great wealth actually, to be with Jesus. The one who was socially estranged meets Jesus. Now look at verse 29. There we see this man, Levi, at a party with Jesus and others. Life restored. You know, one of the main pictures we see in Luke's gospel for what salvation will be like, for what it's like to be saved by Jesus, is a party, is a banquet. It's a feast, and that's exactly what we see here. Jesus says, follow me to a socially alienated, despised tax collector. The next thing we see is that he's partying at a banquet with Jesus. Which is really interesting, because I think as Anglicans, we can often get in the trap of thinking that the goal of the Christian faith is merely forgiveness of sin. But it's not. Christianity cannot be reduced to some cold legal pardoning for wrongdoing. No, forgiveness leads to feasting. Forgiveness leads to fellowship, to a banquet, to the warmth and laughter and love of reconciled relationship with the one who made us, Jesus. Now please look at verse 31. 31 is a summary of the previous four stories. Because Jesus stands up and says in a few words why he's come. He says something incredible. He says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, by righteous here, Jesus is talking about the self-righteous. Those who think they're okay without him. Those who think they are fine as they are. Jesus is saying, I haven't come for you. You will stand or fall on your own. I've come to restore life to people who know they are fractured, sinful, broken, sick. And maybe the issue for them is spiritual like Peter or religious like the leper or physical like the paralytic or social like Levi. But Jesus here is saying, I've actually come for people who know they need a doctor. And here's the thing. I started by asking at the start of the sermon, why do some people come here to Norwest and find life and forgiveness in Jesus and stick and are transformed, whilst others come for a time, a season, and conclude, yeah, it's not for my family. I said there's undoubtedly many reasons, but I also said one of the key reasons is is in this story. I think one of the main reasons that people do not stick when they come here to Norwest, or perhaps any other church actually, is that plenty of people turn up at church looking for belonging, friendship, warmth, and peers for their children. All good things. But actually what every person needs is a doctor. To deal with the sickness in our breast called self-righteousness sin. And I think those who stay and stick and grow in Jesus know they need a doctor or come to know they need a doctor. They need their life restored. And that without Jesus at the center, they are stuffed. But for others, they're looking for something else. I think of the person who turned up here looking for Jesus just prior to being sentenced to six months prison. They came, heard the gospel, seemed to trust in Jesus, went to jail. After six months, they joined Norwest. 
and after two years fell back into their old way of life. I remember the mum who came here wanting to join because her daughter had been so upset by the terrorist attack on the Ariana Grande concert. And she wanted her daughter to know there's a few places in the world that are safe. Three weeks she lasted. I remember the man who joined us, a sexual addict, having visited more than 100 prostitutes, he told me, wanting to put his life right. Two weeks. I remember the couple who came, marriage in trouble, giving it one last shot. I mean, surely the church can help. They lasted three months. I remember the family coming that their kids might gain a greater understanding of Australian culture. I remember the family who has come and said to me, my children need discipline, morality and boundaries. Whenever they play up, I bring them here. They continue to come when the kids play up. I remember them all. And you know what? It's actually wonderful in many ways that these people come, that for so many people who don't come to church, there is still a sense that with God's people, perhaps even with God himself, there is hope and help. There is restoration and improvement. But I think the reason many of these people don't stick and stay is because actually they do not want Jesus to restore their lives. They haven't come here to have their sins forgiven or anything as serious as that. They don't want Jesus to be their heartbeat, their Lord, their Saviour. What they actually want is to stick Jesus onto their life like someone might stick a patch on a jacket. Please look at verse 36. Jesus told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say, the old is better. Again, 5 p.m., Luke has crafted this chapter so carefully. Four stories in a row of people who allow Jesus to reorder their whole lives. And then he finishes with one parable about why Jesus can never be a patch. You see, if you think that belonging to Jesus is like maths tutoring or soccer training or cubs or scouts, that is, it's something else that you can add to our lives for balance, engagement and fulfilment, good as those things are, you will walk away with a torn jacket or grange hermitage all over the ground. You cannot just add Jesus to the old and think he'll make a difference. What Jesus is saying to the Pharisees here is, I'm making all things new. I'm bringing order to disorder. You can't just fit me in with your life as another thing and expect it to work. And brothers and sisters, the tragedy is that there are people who come in amongst us and maybe that might even be you here tonight who think that Jesus might be just another piece to the puzzle, a patch for a hole here. Maybe you think, look, all the things I've invested in, searched out, wanted uh, to, to, to chase down, that I've looked to for satisfaction, 
they haven't dealt with the guilt. They haven't given me the meaning I thought they would. Maybe I'll try Jesus. The tragedy, of course, is that if Jesus is a part, not the whole, it just won't work. It falls apart. You can sew a new patch on an old cloth, but it won't work, not for long. And you can add Jesus as another accessory to an already pretty full life, but it won't work, not for long. With Jesus in Luke 5, it is all or nothing. It was for Peter, the cripple, the leper, and Levi. Five here, maybe you're here tonight and you're stuck. You've been here for a while, but you're still slightly unsettled by what we're talking about tonight. Maybe you're wondering, am I more admirer than worshipper? That's a good sense to have. I wrestle with that myself. Maybe you're wondering if you've simply added Jesus to an already pretty full lineup in your life. If you're wondering if that's you, then I think a pretty good question to ask is this. Is Jesus your king or colleague? Is Jesus your heartbeat or your habit Sunday by Sunday? Hear what Jesus himself says. It's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen. Now, friends, uh, every time we hear the word of God preached, it demands a response. Very often we respond here at Noest by singing different types of songs, depending on the sermon. But as we were thinking about this this week, it seemed to me that this is quite a weighty sermon. It was for me when I was writing it, as I was searching my own heart. And it seemed to me that the right response to this sermon was repentance. Was to confess sin, personally, for me. And seek Jesus, that he'd be the whole of my life, not a patch. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to confess in a moment. It's going to be up on the screen. I'll lead us through that. But I'd love for you to take a moment now in the quietness of your heart and mind to come before the Lord Jesus with the great confidence that Peter had when Jesus said to him, don't be afraid, by his boat by the sea. Great confidence that you're already forgiven if you trust in Jesus. But still the knowledge that you're a sinner who stuffs it up day by day. Take a moment to come before him now and then we'll confess together.